You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered. Listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Lucinda Larnock. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, March 23rd, 2023. Later in the program, we have Civic Conversations, a monthly podcast collaboration between WFHB and the League of Women Voters of Bloomington and Monroe County. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, today WFHB begins our spring fun drive. WFHB news staff Kate Young and Noel Husky schneider will be live at the WFHB studio to share more regarding our spring fun drive. But first, your local headlines. Afternoon. This is WFHB News Director Cade Young. And I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. And it is our spring fun drive. Today kicks off our spring fun drive. We are currently trying to raise $100 during our program of the Day Local News. And we would really appreciate your support to help fund our Daily Local News show. Absolutely. And we need your support now more than ever uh, throughout this week, uh, throughout next week, rather. We're going to have on volunteers uh, of the WFHB Local News, and we're really excited to give you some uh, some great fun drive shows. So please call us at 812-323-1200 to pledge your support today. Again, that's $100 that we're trying to raise. Or you can visit WFHB.org and make a safe and secure donation online. Thank you for listening to WFHB. Please enjoy today's episode of the news brought to you by our volunteer-powered news department. Absolutely. Um, Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for supporting WFHB Community Radio. At the Bloomington Utilities Services Board meeting on March 13th, utilities engineer Jane Fleeg asked the board to approve an agreement with American Structure Point, Inc. for consulting services on a water main relocation project. Jane Fleeg, for the record, um, I'm bringing before you an agreement uh, that we would like to enter into with American Structure Point for design and bid services for another water main relocation project that we have to do based on an INDOT project this time. The location is State Road 4546 Bypass and Arlington Road. Uh, We have a 12-inch water main that is in conflict with their proposed uh, ramp work at that location. So um, this consultant, American Structure Point, has provided this uh, not to exceed amount of $66,900. Of that, the design is $49,700, bidding is $7,400, and construction administration services is $9,800. So I would uh, be happy to answer any questions if you have. Board member Jeff Enum asked if they would be compensated for the engineering since it is an INDOT project. Fleeg said they would not be. President of the board, Amanda Burnham, asked for more information on the nature of the project INDOT is planning. 
Fleeg responded that they are putting in an exit ramp and shared their reasoning for it. Westbound on the bypass will have a ramp going up to Arlington Road. Okay. And will there be an, do you know if there's going to be then an entrance ramp from Arlington Road as well? There will not be. It's just an exit ramp. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh. Um, They were saying that they are having trouble um, with people going over to Gorley and coming up to get over. And so they're trying to make this more efficient. So that would be the only uh, ramp that they would have. And it's a huge slope in there, and they're building a huge retaining wall that would be right on top of our water main. So, unfortunately. The board unanimously approved the agreement with American Structure Point Incorporated. During staff reports, MS4 program coordinator Liz Carter gave a presentation on the city's MS4 program. The MS4 stands for the Municipal Separate Storm Sewer System. Um, And the boundary is on your screen here. Basically, the entire city limits of Bloomington minus IU, they have their own MS4. So an MS4, um, it it oversees the stormwater in the city of Bloomington. So we're really concerned about making sure pollutants don't get into our streams, which then lead to our rivers, our lakes, and eventually to the ocean. Um, So that's what my whole group does. For the the various ways that pollutants can get into our stormwater, we try to stop that from happening. So I came from planning before I worked at CBU, and when people ask me what I do now, I tell them that I'm the Lorax of our streams, and I think that's kind of a succinct way of putting it. So uh, we have a permit with item. It's our, um, our general permit, our MS4 general permit, and we have to do an annual report, which is due April 1st, so real soon. Um, One of the things we have to do before that report is give a presentation to um, a board about the status of our program. So here I am. (laughs) Carter outlined the program's scope. She said they work on education and outreach, active construction, maintenance and construction of green infrastructure, and they investigate complaints from the public. Carter shared the types of stormwater complaints they receive and shared how they address them. We get complaints from a lot of different places. Um, the easiest for us to pull numbers on would be U-Report and CityWorks. CityWorks is our internal uh, system where if control takes a call and it's an issue for my team, it gets logged into CityWorks and routed to my team. So I went through the data of what we had records of for last year, and on the screen you can see the breakdown of types of complaints we get. So a few from construction sites, Quite a few from people with private property issues. So, and that's not to say that we can't do anything about it. Sometimes that private property is, we have a common area in our neighborhood, we have a pond. It's not working well. Can you come look at it? Can you give us advice? You know, is there something we can do? So sometimes it is truly just, there's water pooling in my backyard. We can certainly recommend the residential stormwater grant program, but there's not a lot we can do on private property. Uh, We can give advice though. And, um, Then we have 13 public property. That's mostly um, infrastructure in the right-of-way, drains that are clogged, um, culverts that aren't working properly, items that are within our ability to fix. And then the last one is IDDEs, which are illicit discharges. So someone calls up and says, I saw a guy pouring paint down the storm drain, right? Or downtown, it could be grease, fat oil, something like that. Um, We had a total of 17 IDDEs logged last year, and I've got examples on both sides of the screen. The right-hand side is a sanitary sewer overflow. 
that happened on East 3rd Street. And then the left side is a gas leak that ended up in the creek. And you can see the measures being taken to clean that up. Carter explained that a large undertaking has been establishing a way to enforce their agreed-upon standards at larger construction sites. Carter credited the work of Assistant Director Environmental Programs Catherine Zeger with this milestone for the MS4 program. The MS4 program, as I mentioned, we were talking about construction, started really focusing more on enforcement for construction sites. So there's always been enforcement for things like IDDEs. You see someone dumping grease down the storm drain, they're going to get a ticket more than likely. Um, But going after an enforcement program for construction sites was more of an undertaking. And um, Ms. Zager really uh, ran after that. In her presentation, Carter shared more aspects of how the MS4 program works to improve stormwater runoff. If you want to know more, you can watch the full presentation on CATS, Community Access Television Services. After her presentation, board member Kirk White asked about utilities taking on the maintenance of the storm drains and expressed concern that it is a large undertaking. Carter said she expects the Department of Public Works to continue to assist them. Wow. This is going to be a challenge this fall, mm-hmm. and I don't. We're going to if it's if it's our responsibility now. We're going to need to put a plan in place. I don't know whether that means uh, public works is going to transfer the vacuum cleaners over to us because they're different than street sweepers. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're going to we would have a whole lot of plugged up storm drains with leaves because they just you know it's. They cover up the grates, right. the inlets. Yeah. And I, I think Public Works will continue to be a partner with us. You know, from what I'm hearing, they don't have an intent of, you know, cutting and running on us and saying good luck. White suggested that they work on a plan to help with the transition from Public Works to utilities. In light of our discussion, I guess we need to be working with staff to make sure there's a smooth transition so that when October rolls around, we don't have flooded streets and make, you know, it's the whole thing. I mean, it's it, certainly, I think should be a phased transition in my mind. We'd start out with a plan and we need to cross-train employees. We need to put procedures in place for citizen concerns to be voiced and how we would handle those. Public Works is doing all that now, and if it lands on utilities, then, hey, I have... I've always had all the faith in the world that utilities has always been a a department in the city that could do anything a lot better than other places. Uh, And I think they still can, but we're going to have to we're going to have to have a good plan in place to do it. The next Bloomington Utility Services Board meeting will be held on March 27th. are listening to the day local news and it is our spring fun drive and we are trying to raise $100 right now to support the day local news department and we are really happy to be here and we think we're doing some pretty cool things and so your donations go to helping support that and something really cool that is going on right now is deep dive Cade can you tell everybody what deep dive is absolutely so deep dive is essentially a community partnership with the Limestone Post and WFHB, and it's sort of this journalistic collaboration where we essentially, um, the Limestone Post essentially publishes a long-form narrative uh, journalism 
article um, on any given issue that impacts the residents of Monroe County. And every four um, weeks that go by, you know, those monthly articles, WFHB publishes a 10 to 20 minute module that we've been working on together. Um, and the, the first uh, installment of that has been about the housing crisis in Monroe County. And it's just been such an awesome you know, collaboration with the Limestone Post. And I think really needed in this community where, you know, you, you know, we all know that newspapers are generally, you know, print newspapers are on the decline. And I think, you know, us being able to sort of step up in some way and collaborate with Limestone Post to make a real difference has been so awesome. Yeah, just the value of local nonprofits coming together and trying to fill in the news desert and giving this local coverage, I think, is so huge. And we really appreciate the experience and the collaboration. And it all came from a community grant that our developmental director like helped to write. And just it's been such a collaborative effort that I think has been so beneficial. So your donations have multiplicative effects in the community. Um, Absolutely. It helps us put that together. And that's why your donations, your funding is so important. So please give us a call right now to help support the WFHB local news. We're trying to raise $100. In fact, we need to raise $100 during this program. Noel, what's that number? 812-323-1200. Again, that's 812-323-1200. We're trying to get some callers today. So please give us a call or visit wfhb.org to make your donation today. Up next, we have Civic Conversations, a monthly podcast collaboration between WFHB and the League of Women Voters of Bloomington and Monroe County. This month, Civic Conversations welcomed Michael Lippert, a journalist with the Indiana Capital Chronicle, to discuss the 2022 American Health Rankings Report. In the podcast, Lippert talked to our host, Jim Allison, about where Indiana stands regarding public health in the United States. We turn now to Civic Conversations on the WFHB Local News. You're listening to Civic Conversations, a podcast collaboration between the League of Women Voters, Bloomington, Monroe County, and this station, WFHB. I'm Jim Allison, your host, and Becky Hill is our producer. We're pleased to say you can find Civic Conversations every month on this station, WFHB, at 93.1 and 98.1 FM. And you can also find the podcast at the League website, which is on the World Wide Web. Uh, the address is lwv-bmc.org. I'll give that again, lwv-bmc.org. Today, we're pleased to welcome Michael Leppert. Uh, Michael is a journalist with the Indiana Capital Chronicle, and he's here to discuss with us today the 2022 American Health Rankings Report. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Uh, first off, Michael, why don't you tell us what is the American Health Rankings Report? Uh, tell us who did this public health rankings report, what data they used, and, and how has the report been received? 
yeah, uh, the uh, the American America's Health Rankings and the the Health Ranking Report that um, I wrote about back in December uh, is a report, a document, uh, a study that that's put together and, and updated regularly by the United Health Foundation. Um, I was just doing generic searches and, and came across it, and there was a lot of data there. They've gathered this, and they were committed to uh, the, the the gathering of that data and analyzing it. The United Health Foundation is the foundation of United United Health, which is a a, a, a healthcare uh, insurance provider. And so, take that take that as uh, as the disclaimer. Uh, but but as you compare, uh, and I've spent some time for other reasons since December comparing some of the findings in the in the uh, the health rankings report that the uh, United Health Foundation put out. It's pretty consistent. There's there's a there's not a lot of things that are that are out of whack. You'll see a a ranking of 44th here, that's 46th there, and that sort of thing. But but the generic messaging that comes through the data that they gathered is pretty consistent across lots of reports. And and I use other reports uh, in some of the classes that I teach, and and uh, and we'll and we'll cite them in future columns because this is the kind of ship that doesn't turn very fast. Um, and so the, the the problem will be will be with problems will be with us for some time. But that's where the report comes from, and uh, it's important, I think, especially in what I do, to to read a variety of them. And and I'm glad to see that the report that I spent a long time in back back in December, uh, pretty pretty well holds up against other data points that I, see. That I found since uh, then. Just how do states uh, use these data? Well, uh, you know, arguably, Indiana's not using it well. Um, uh, I would imagine that uh, that that most states are, and for purposes of of rankings, what what are rankings worth uh, for for me and what I teach? I teach a public policy class, a couple of different public policy classes at at IU, and I write about it almost exclusively um, in the Capital Chron in the Indiana Capital Chronicle. Um, you know. People are going to be unhealthy. People are going to be uneducated. People are going to not vote when they should. Those kinds of things we know are going to be true. So how do you know whether or not you're doing well? And that's comparative. You know, how, how do we do against Kentucky? How do we do against Michigan and California and, and, and other states? And so uh, being able to say that we need to spend more money, which is what's on the table now in the Indiana General Assembly, on public health, it's easy to come up with uh, data that says, yes, we should, uh, that, that we're falling behind, that it's causing us problems and it might not be causing other places. And so it gets used. Um, uh, the question is how, how well, how quickly, uh, how, how adequately do people respond to it? Do, do policymakers respond to it? And, and the truth is that what, what was found in the American Health Rankings uh, data set that I used and all the things that confirm it um, is not something that just happened overnight. Uh, this is not a weather event. It's a climate uh, event. Um, Indiana has been lagging for a long time, and uh, and this is just uh, the latest uh, confirmation of that of that fact. All right, I have a copy of the report, and I noticed that in this report, overall, Indiana ranks thirty fifth among the fifty two states, and that ranking happens to put us ahead of our two of our neighbors, namely Kentucky and Ohio. And a little bit behind our other two neighbors, Illinois and Michigan. But let's let's dig deep a little bit beneath those overall rankings, and let's get into some basic detail. And for example, tell us about income inequality. What does income inequality have to do with public health, and how do we compare with other states on that measure? 
Well, income inequality. What you'll find if 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 you get if you get deep and dirty into all the into all these uh, data sets, you'll find that there are certain behaviors, uh, certain conditions, uh, certain uh, certain things. For example, prevalence for smoking or prevalence for HIV infection. All of those things tend to be identifiable in in specific states uh, very differently, and a lot of that can be regional, can be localized. Uh, HIV is, is one of the things that I know that we were going to talk about for, for a moment. It's just an easy example to use. We had a large HIV event here in, in around 2015, 2016 in southern Indiana. That skewed our HIV numbers drastically, but it also educated our, our state about the the ongoing struggle with that uh, with, with that situation and with that those uh, the infectious nature of that and so um, getting into income inequality you will find HIV infection numbers tend to in our five worst states tend to be concentrated in the African American the Black community but not so in California and so what is what is the reason for that. Um, uh, answering those questions, I think, helps drive policy. So income inequality is a large, a, a large issue here because uh, for, for two things. One is access to health care. And, and, and I hope we get a chance to talk about what that actually means. Um, but also in the things that that uh, that drive us to need health care less. Um, and, and so uh, the uninsured situation that Indiana has made some strides on in recent years. Um, are things that really matter with our lower income population here. The Healthy Indiana Plan is, is, is the large success um, area for that. Uh, but that is, that is definitely a program that is specific to the income inequality program or income inequality status that, uh, that exists here in Indiana and exists everywhere in America. So again, uh, we could talk about those, those things in, in details, but access to healthcare was the first thing. Um, and, and I think access to, uh, to all the things that will, will, I think, lead to less need for healthcare is probably even a, even a bigger, more prominent thing in my mind. Okay. According to the report, we spend in Indiana about $14 per person on public health and um, 45th in the nation um, on that measure. And I'm wondering, what, what do you think about uh, Governor Holcomb? He's, he's making a big push on public health. Do you think that's going to improve that ranking? Yeah, I, actually, I do. I, I think that the, the, the spending number will probably go up. Uh, the, 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 the struggle is, uh, the, struggle is the, the long-term ongoing commitment to uh, the, the numbers that need to come up from Governor Holcomb's Public Health Commission that, that Dr. Box from the, from the State Department of Health and, and uh, former Senator Luke Kenley have chaired they did the study that came up with the number that that was proposed by the governor back in December of, I think, two hundred and seventy five million dollars in additional spending. And I think that that number has already been whittled down to two hundred and twenty million dollars ish that from the House version of the budget bill. Um, so uh, so the, the the problem isn't that they that I don't think the legislature will keep from spending additional money this year. It will be the ongoing investment. This is not something you write a check for and walk away from. This is something that, that has to change in our, our approach, our way of thinking on how we spend and how we invest, spend is the wrong word, how we invest in, in our public health outcomes. Uh, that's something that that's not going to go away after this budget. It's, it's a, a years long, decades long. It's a mindset, really, a cultural shift 
that we have to uh, make this investment or the, or the things that lurk that keep us down are just going to keep lingering around and keep, and keep keeping us down. Uh, so um, I'm optimistic that this budget is going to be better than it would have been otherwise. Um, but, the, but the real challenge is going to be the ongoing commitment. And, and uh, that's, that's something that, that uh, will take ongoing, um, ongoing advocacy, ongoing research and, and, uh, and study. All right. I think invest is the right word. Yeah. Um, according to this report, we do quite well nationally on severe housing problems and the prevalence of getting back HIV, which you've mentioned already, the prevalence of risky HIV behaviors. And I wonder if you could tell us what those particular rankings reflect. And can you talk about those a little bit? Um, sure, a, a little bit. One is there are a lot of things, and, and, and I find myself having, having conversations about specific data points and then things that weren't included in the data that might be driving that sort of thing. I, I mentioned it earlier about the, the HIV uh, event that we had in 2015, 2016 with, uh, with Scott County and how, how actually quickly that outbreak became a, a, a disturbing and scary event, not just in that community, but but sort of a re-energizing of how how quickly uh, HIV infections can get out of control. I yeah. think that I, I would be shocked if we couldn't find a way to show that that event actually helped Indiana grow from uh, the the scary the scariness of that problem. I don't have that data, uh, but when you have those kinds of events, people put up their put up their guard and, and they start thinking more uh, more uh, um, intentionally about mm -hmm. how how we live. But yeah. you find in the column that I wrote back in December, I, I, I was I was flippant about the, the situation, but sexually transmitted diseases, Indiana does generally pretty well um, mm -hmm. by comparison to other diseases, which is strange. I mean, I, I found in the data set uh, and mentioned in the column about our low prevalence of chlamydia. And, and the, the only reason why that made it into the into the column was it it surprised me. I, I, I wasn't looking for that. It jumped off the screen. It was, mm -hmm. How is this? How is this going? So. What, what I have found in, in the rabbit holes that I've spent in, in this report and in the health uh, uh, metrics report that I use in my class uh, more often is that they're good at telling you what the data is, but they're not really good at telling you why. Yeah. Uh, so And so finding, and, I, and I'm, uh, my wife tells me this all the time, I'm like a four-year-old who never grew out of the why stage. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want anybody giving me a number unless they also include their explanation for why it exists. And, and that's not really what did. That's not what these data reports do. So I, I don't have an answer for that, but I think it's consistent across cultural norms in Indiana that sexually transmitted diseases are, we, we, we tend to rank pretty well on that. And I don't have a good answer as to why. Today marks the start of WFHB's Spring Fun Drive. The WFHB Local News is an award-winning daily news program. Each and every day, we bring you coverage on local government, in-depth news features, and topics concerning our local community. It's all done by volunteers who are community members themselves. Community radio is rare. Community radio stations with news departments are even more rare, and we're proud to keep around WFHB's long-standing tradition of a vibrant news and public affairs department. But we need you to keep WFHB's many local news and public affairs programs on the air. 
Keep the community radio revolution alive by making a pledge in support of the WFHB local news. During today's broadcast, we need to raise $100 in support of our spring fund drive. Call 812-323-1200 and make a pledge as soon as you can. Again, that's 812-323-1200. You can also visit our website at wfhb.org and click the red donate button to pledge your support. Thank you for listening and thank you for supporting community radio station WFHB.